Well, very good. So, you know, uh, yesterday I was uh, at a, one of our local um, synagogues for the second day of uh, Rosh Hashanah. Uh, and so it was interesting. I, I, you know, it's always, it's always good. But one thing that was uh, kind of interesting that um, sometimes peop- we get feedback on our services, you know, and we say, well, you know, uh, you know, if we're trying to be like a synagogue, why do we clap our hands? If we're trying to be like a synagogue, why do we have music? Why do we, why do we do this? Why do we do that? Well, let me just say, it's not your father's synagogue anymore, okay? And what I mean by that is uh, that if you grew up, uh, like someone once said, that, you know, growing up in the 1950s and 60s and going to the synagogue, what is the, the, the collective memory is an old man saying no, <laughs> you know? Like, cut that out, or be quiet, you know, that kind of thing. It's, you know, a little humor, all right? I know, mo- I know 99% of us have not had that collective experience. So anyway, uh, the, uh, the reality is, is uh, today, uh, there is a much more um, desire to be inclusive and uh, of making it interesting. In fact, even online, I was reading in Tablet uh, a Magazine, which is an online Jewish uh, 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 journal, uh, about, uh, so, you know, you're going to the service, it's going to be real long, are there ways to make it more interesting? So I thought it was interesting there. The way to make it more interesting was, one of the challenges was, talk about repentance. <laughs> you know, make it personal. I thought that was good. We kind of do that kind of thing, don't we? Uh, and other things as well, just in the way you do the worship service. So uh, one thing that was interesting uh, at the service I was at was uh, there was a guest cantor from another city. And what did he do? Are you ready? You talk about living on the edge. He clapped his hands <laughs> to, to uh, uh, some of the liturgy, the, 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 resp- the, the Musaf Amidah, which is a really big deal on, uh, on Rosh Hashanah. Uh, that uh, he was clapping his hands, it was right. Then not only that, but uh, also, somewhat spontaneously, the, um, I don't know what the musical thing is, it's called something. When you sing and like one side does this and the other side does that, that's called something. Okay, there you go, okay? That um, I, they sort of did some of that, almost like uh, uh, spontaneously. This is an Orthodox synagogue, huh? How do you like that? So cut it out. All right? So, so it's okay. All right? We're just moving it forward. We are not only on the cutting edge of uh, experiencing Israel's future today, but uh, worship in the Jewish community, in a, certain respe- in a certain respect, is following a little bit of what we, where we've been. You know? Think about it that way. And so that's rather, uh, that's rather interesting. All right? And then I have to, conf- this is the week of confession. You'll notice that at certain times my voice seems strained, doesn't it? Well, <clears throat> I have to confess that I got a little loud on Thursday night. <clears throat> but I wasn't yelling and screaming at anyone. It was a, it was a wonderful experience, but I went a little overboard uh, on my voice. Uh, and if you want to know what that was, I'll tell you later. Okay. But uh, I have to confess, it, it was uh, me being and being a little fanatical about a uh, something I was watching on the little screen. All right, there you go. Well, uh, today 
uh, we want to uh, continue, really, uh, uh, where we were uh, uh, on uh, Wednesday night and Thursday morning, because this is a journey, and we're kind of on, we're not on two journeys or three journeys, we're on one journey, so it's kind of the same theme, this theme of, uh, of repentance. And uh, we uh, talked about the fact that we're part of bigger something than ourselves, you know, and which gives us tremendous meaning uh, when we see uh, the big scheme, the strategy of God, and how we're a part of that, uh, and how uh, if we see ourselves as the center, there certainly is a lot to fear, but if we see God as the center, uh, then uh, we are hidden in him, regardless of what takes place in our own lives, and we likened it unto being a soldier, you know, and we said that, uh, you know, on D-Day, June 6, 1944, uh, there was a lot to fear, uh, you know, coming up to those uh, shores. Uh, but people became fearless because they understood the bigger picture, see? And so we live that way uh, in the Lord. Then we talked about the fact that, so how do we get into this? How do we become part of this? Well, by embracing the Lord and that involves repentance. And we talked about living a life of repentance, a physical life of repentance, that li living repentantly, right? Which is always about movement, uh, uh, moving uh, closer to God, moving toward God. But it also involves moving in this life beyond the rut that we're in and continually uh, viewing our life as part of the, the life of God and his work, and which gives us real energy and motivation to do our best in whatever we do and to have ambitions and, and to not just uh, wallow in self-pity, but to recognize that there's something much bigger going on and I'm a part of it, which is very, very motivating. So I thought this morning, you know, where would we turn? Where would we go from there? Well, I thought that the, you know, the Haftorah portion for today is beautiful. Uh, the uh, uh, portion from the prophets, which Karen read so well from, from uh, Hosea. And I will say that my, um, when I think of the 14th chapter of Hosea, I always think of uh, the uh, summer of 1976. Why do I think of that? Because that was the summer when I was uh, wrestling with the truth of Yeshua, is he the Messiah uh, or uh, not the Messiah? And uh, the person who was uh, the primary person who was sharing the good news uh, with me uh, uh, invited me over to his house. And it was kind of like, just like when Jewish family members come to Beth Messiah, we think, oh, you know, I'm going to high mass. What's it going to be like? You know, and then people go away saying, oh, it wasn't so bad, it, you know. There were Jewish elements in what we did uh, here at Beth Messiah. So I went over to this person's house thinking, oh, you know, who knows what I'm going to find. But it looked like a Jewish person's house, you know, with different kinds of traditional things. And, and so then he said, I want you to listen to this. I want you to hear something. And so he played music for me that I had never heard before. And if you were around at that time, you know that music played a very important role in that revival in the late 1970s, in the, well, late 1960s and throughout the 1970s. It, music played a very important role in that. Uh, and so you all heard of Lamb, right? Lamb, uh, Joel Chernoff, and so on. So uh, he introduced me to this music, uh, and uh, there's, a, there's, there's several particular songs 
that, uh, that they did from uh, Hosea 14 that I hear in my head whenever I am uh, 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 reading this text. And it really uh, spoke to me. Uh, it didn't like, it wasn't like I heard that and then I walked a sawdust trail or something. But I still remember the moment uh, when I heard that music and it was like, like, like uh, something, like, you know how you might say, like, like in a movie almost, I hear something. I never heard that before. And, and so it was, it really uh, spoke to my heart uh, the, the words uh, of this text and of the love of God uh, for uh, Israel. And there's some, there seemed to be something very alive about it. And of course, that was Yeshua, uh, you know, and faith in Messiah that, that I was hearing. And, and it played a significant uh, role uh, in, my, in my life. Now, so the name of this, uh, this uh, Shabbat, right, is Shabbat Shuva, Shabbat Shuva, the Shabbat of return. And that is the first word of chapter 14, right? Shuv, right? Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Okay, and then it says, Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously that we may present the fruit of our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say again, our God, to the work of our hands. For in thee, uh, the, uh, the orphan finds mercy. Now, so you have something going on in these verses. Right? And, and if you've done personal Bible study with me lately, you know that the first thing we always have to do is observe the text. Right? W look at the words carefully. Oftentimes we just see it as like the asphalt highway of Bible. Like, okay, so I went a mile, now what? You know? But if we look at it uh, uh, carefully, we see uh, some very interesting things here. First, there's a call to Israel to return. Now, you have to understand, in the big scheme of things in the book of Hosea, <clears throat> Hosea and Amos are um, very interesting to read one next to the other. They kind of say the same thing. You know, in other words, you have really messed up, you have sinned, and it has separated you from God, and you need to return. Right? So, okay, so they, but, but what's the difference? Why is there, why do we need an Amos, and why do we need a Hosea? The book of Amos is much more judicial, okay, not Jewish, it's all Jewish, but judicial, okay? In other words, you've sinned, and, uh, you know, and so the, there's going to be judgment uh, uh, because of it. But there's also great words of hope, at, you know, at the end of, of Amos. But you've sinned, and, uh, you know, you have broken the, the law, and so there's a judgment. Hosea, the import of Hosea is the same, except... He says, we're married, and you have committed adultery, and I'm really depressed over it, and, and, I don't, and so I've had to leave you, but I want you back really, really badly, so please come back. That's the difference between Amos and Hosea. So in Hosea, in the 11th chapter, there's a famous passage that really brings out, as we say, the pathos 
the emotion, the feeling of God toward his people. So in the 11th chapter of Hosea, it says, When Israel was young, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. You know this from the song that we sing sometimes, right? The more they called them, the more they went from them. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning incense to the idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them by my, in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of a man with bonds of love, and I became to them as one who lifts a yoke from their jaws. And I bent down, and I fed them. So, you know this feeling if you are a parent, and you have children who have just gone the wrong way, who have rejected you. Uh, who have rejected you maybe in making really poor choices and have really messed their lives up, or have just rejected you. You know, they, they ignore you or don't have anything to do with you. You're not a part of their lives. And you remember back in the, you remember those diapers. You remember, uh, you know, the first day of school. You remember, uh, you know, uh, soccer games and, and uh, field trips and uh, summer vacations and, and wrestling on the floor and playing games. And, and you're thinking, wow, you know, you look back on that and it just tugs at you, doesn't it? Tugs at you. Now, I, I don't mean to uh, press the buttons and, and, and get you depressed, but I want you to feel what God feels toward the Jewish people in disobedience. And that, that is what's coming out of Hosea. Remember Hosea himself, God used his very life in this way, where he was married, his wife commits adultery, uh, and she's gone, and God says, buy her back, you know, at, at a low, low price, because she was so worthless, see, is what that's getting at. Uh, and uh, you love her, but, as it says in chapter 3 of Hosea, he says to Hosea, Go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. Which means they love to worship the Baalim and Ashtaroth. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and an omer and a half of barley. Then I said to her, You shall stay with me for many days, you shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a, it really should be, but, nor shall you have a man, so will I also be toward you. In other words, it's sort of a, a relationship based on a contract, but not really emotional. Then he says, for the sons of Israel will remain for many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without ephod or household idol. In other words, uh, Israel's going to remain many days, not outwardly worshiping idols, but not in a way, not in the ultimate way that I desire. Afterward, the sons of Israel will return, shuv, will return, and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. And so throughout the book, we have this love affair between a, a God and Israel, this angst, this this disappointment of God toward his lover. And uh, Israel sort of giving God lip service, 
but not really returning to, to him with, with a whole heart. Maybe sort of formally returning to him, saying the right prayers at the right times, that, that kind of thing. But it's not really wholehearted. It's because of maybe a, a, this is the contractual obligation that we have, but, but it isn't really a, a, a wholehearted. Well, this takes place when, historically, this is in the 8th century uh, BCE, and Hosea is a prophet in the northern kingdom, right? And we know that in the 7th century, uh, this kingdom fell. That seemed to be impregnable. It fell to the Assyrians, right? But the people were kind of oblivious, uh, oblivious to that. Uh, and Hosea is begging them, God, through the prophet, is begging them to return because he doesn't want to judge them, but he must because of his righteousness. It kind of reminds you of Yeshua, who is the very enfleshment of God, who exhibits this sadness over the rejection of our people. You know that little verse, Yeshua wept. He wept over Yerushalayim. He wept over Jerusalem. He weeps over us. He weeps over our world because he doesn't want to see the things that are going on. He doesn't want to have to judge this world the way that we know it's coming. He wants us to repent. In Matthew chapter 23, in verse 30, after all those woes, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees and all that, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who, who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. You know how you feel about your children? This is the emotion of Yeshua toward us. That's the emotion. Now, you know how you feel sometimes. Well, I forget, forget them. I got to live my own life, right? Yeshua, he continues to feel it because he's the Lord, right? He continues to feel it. For thousands of years, he continues to feel it because we are still in exile and we have still rejected him. Even with the coming of Yeshua, we still reject him. How do we know that he's rejected? Well, if you are a Messiah follower and you live the life of a Messiah follower and you live in a world of people who, who, who really reject Messiah, who it's part of their fiber to reject Messiah, they're going to reject you. And, and, and just, it's, it's quite obvious. I mean, this is preaching to the choir, isn't it? That our culture has rejected the Messiah. Truly. He weeps. He still intercedes for us. He's still our Lord and he's still our king. You know, Yeshua is the king of Israel, not just the king of believers. He's the king of everybody. He's the king of the universe, right? Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, king of the universe, right? But almost all of humanity has rejected the king and he feels it. He desires repentance so that things can be the way they were originally intended to be. So when you come to chapter 14 of Hosea, so you got, a, you got that frame here now. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. He's begging them to return. Please come back 
Come back, come back, O Israel. Right? Return to the Lord your God. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Because you see, God wants Israel to be able to experience blessedness. That is the theme of the Torah, it is the theme of the Bible. Blessedness. God wants to bless. And so he begs, come back, because this is what I want to do. Come back. Then he says, this is what you need to say. This is how you should come back. So in verses 2 and 3, he says, okay, he he's like, gives it, feeds it to them. Okay, repent. And you, got, you start with words, and these are the words. Okay, now, I think it's interesting, first of all, that he says, take words with you and, re and return to the Lord. Take words with you and return uh, uh, to the Lord. This goes back to what we were saying the other day, that there's a physical element to repentance, to turning. It's not only in my head. But words are the beginning of our physicality. Words that we say are physical. Even reading is physical. Reading, like reading the Bible. So it's a physical way of relating to God. And saying words, like prayer, you know, is a very physical way of relating uh, uh, to God. That's why I'm all for praying out loud, even when I'm alone. I pray out loud. I will tell you, when I pray, I pray, just about all the time I pray, I pray out loud. Because I hear it. I can hear it. It's not just stuff going on in my head, you know? It, be, it seems much more, just for me personally, much more real when I am saying words out loud, okay? So he says, take words with you and return to the Lord. In other words, don't just think, return to the Lord. Don't just think, hmm, I think I'll return to the, I think I'll return to the Lord. But there's a physical activity here, all right? All right. So, that, so now, with that physical activity, it's important, I, I need to reiterate, again, this idea that when we say words, uh, it is a form of movement, and repentance is a form of movement. It's a verb, return. You, you're moving from one place to another, right? And so it's not only with our feet, but it is also with our heart, and it is also with actions, okay? And he begins here with, take your words, all right? Now, again, very important. This, uh, this is uh, uh, throughout the entire Bible. Uh, you know, I was thinking after uh, Thursday morning, you know, what does James say? Faith without works is dead. That there is physical activity, physical movement with a walk with God. Always, there's a physical manifestation of morals, ethics, uh, physically relating uh, to God and others, okay? Uh, so, take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously that we may present the fruit of our lips. So first it's, you're coming to him with nothing. Take away iniquity. Not, Lord, uh, the balance sheet now shows 
that I have more good than bad. So uh, what do you say? You know? Uh, no, it's just take my iniquity. Kind of reminds you of Psalm 51. Lord, be gracious to me. You know, think about that. In Psalm 51, what does uh, David say? Okay, uh, if you turn there. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. He doesn't come with anything. It's all God's actions, right? And so how do we return to God? The first thing we, we do is we say, Lord, take away my sins. Now, again, inward, outward. You know, it's like a pendulum. Uh, we focus sometimes on inward, inward, inward. That it's not legalism. It's not just going and doing this or that and the other thing. And we know that there's lots of verses in the Bible where God says, I hate your solemn assemblies. I can't stand your sacrifices. Why? They were doing them right. They were outwardly coming to God, but they did not have kavanah. They did not come with intention of the heart. The intention of the heart, right? So you can't just have intention of the heart and then not care. That's like a contract. That's like, okay, I signed a contract with you, Lord, so I'm in. Because here's the contractual obligation. So you can't just have that, and you can't just have the outward. There is this balance, and that is living a holistic life. A holistic life in the Lord of inward and outward, both. It's not one or the other, or even one more important than the other. It is an integration of my heart inwardly, and my feet, and my hands, and my eyes, and my ears uh, outwardly. It is an integration, and that is how life is lived abundantly, see, with that integration. Uh, and that has always been God's desire. Do you know that in the book of Deuteronomy, in the sixth chapter, we read there, uh, God tells, um, through Moses, tells the people, to circumcise your hearts unto the Lord. In Deuteronomy, in the Torah. Okay? Uh, and then we read at the end of Deuteronomy in chapter 30 that that's going, God's going to make that happen when the people return and hearts will be circumcised. It was always God's desire that the people would have hearts, an inward heart for God. Think about the Shema, the great Shema. Love the Lord your God with everything you have. With everything. This is the heart and soul of Torah, not just to do laws, not just to perform activities. If that's how we understand the law of Moses, we have it wrong. You have it wrong. We understand God wrong. The Torah is a way of life that is to be lived. A way of life that is uh, 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 to be uh, uh, lived. Uh, outwardly, but with a love of God, for the sake of a love of God. And when we talk about the fear of being motivated by fear of God, not fear of breaking the contract, but just like a, a, a father and a child, not wanting to disappoint. There's nothing wrong with that. Not wanting to disappoint. Wanting to, uh, wanting to receive from God, you know, a well done, faithful servant. You know? God understands our humanity, that's why Yeshua said, that's why we have that in the Brit Hadashah. That's why it says, 
that you'll, you'll hear, well done, faithful servant, as you're faithful in your life. There's nothing wrong with that. And also fearing God, recognizing how his grandeur as well. All of that mixed in together. We desire to please God because uh, we indeed love him. And he made us to live in this world and to worship him holistically. So that's why we read, take words with you and return to the Lord and say these words. Take away our iniquity and receive us graciously. Receive us graciously. Receive us even though we don't deserve to be received. That is, that is a wonderful way to approach God. And then it says that we may present, now in some translations as the calves of our lips, uh, and uh, in others the fruit of our lips. The reason for that is, is because the consonants are the same for fruit and, and uh, for the translation fruit and, and, and calf. It's kind of interesting. Uh, take your pick. Don't argue about it. Don't worry about it. Okay? Uh, that we may present the fruit of our lips. In other words, an offering of our lips. That's where we get that from. Okay? Uh, and that's what we're presenting, an offering of our, from, of our lips, meaning a physical way. But we could even go beyond that, like from the song that we sang uh, this morning, give our body, giving our body a living sacrifice. We sang that this morning. And that's what it means. That's what it means in uh, Romans chapter 12, a living sacrifice. We begin with the words coming out of our mouth because the words that come out of our mouth are, are, are a reflection of what is in our heart. Did not Yeshua say that? That what comes out of the mouth is what's in the heart. See, that there is this integration of the heart and the lips. Okay, so we come to God and we say, Lord, I am unworthy, please forgive me. Okay? And then an acknowledgement that Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say again, our God, to the work of our hands. In other words, the, the, they were in great danger. As a people, they were in great danger. They were in great physical danger because of a nation that was going to come and destroy them. Okay? Uh, and so their hope is not in military strategy. Literally what he's saying here is, our hope is not in appeasing the physical enemies that we have. Our hope is not in figuring out a way to work with the nations in this world, you know, to make it, to make it good. He's saying, what you need to say to, to me is, my hope is in you, not in nation states. We will not hope in horses or drones or whatever. That's not where our hope is. Okay? Nor will we say again our God to the work of our hands the things we make to protect ourselves and the things that we do. That is not where our hope is. It's not where we put all our eggs. It's not being anthro-focused, focused on me, because if it's focused on me, there's a lot to fear. If it's focused on Assyria or in our world, nations, whether it's our own nation or people who are in power, there's a lot to fear. But if we put our eggs in the basket of the kingdom of God and in Yeshua himself, we're part of what he's doing in this world, and we see the end, which is victory. Okay? And then he says, For in you the orphan finds mercy. In other words, For in you, Lord, 
That is where we who are vulnerable, we who are weak, this is where we find our answer is in you. And then God says, and here's the response. Now, this, is a, this whole thing is a prophetic statement. You have to understand that. It's a prophetic statement. He's saying, the day is going to come, Israel, when you're going to say this to me. And the day is going to come when this is how I'm going to respond. You're in deep stuff right now. You know, and you are going to suffer. But remember, just like in Hazinu, just like in Deuteronomy 32. Oh, that may be why this is the Haftorah for the day. Right? Because just like in uh, Deuteronomy 32, there's hope at the end, no matter what happens. See? Uh, and so, and this, he says, so this is what you're going to say, and this is how I'm going to respond. I will heal their apostasy. I will heal their heresies. I will hear, I will heal their sickness of walking away from me. God says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it all better. I will, when, you know, it's the same thing as saying, when you seek me, you'll find me. And you see, what God says is, I want to do, I want to bless you. This is not some kind of prosperity teaching or anything like that. He says, I want to bless you. That's what he wants to do. See, we hide from him. We're our own worst enemies. And then he says, I will love them freely. I will love them freely. That means we're going to have this great marriage. We're going to have this love relationship where it's no longer simply obligatory and contractual, but it's going to be real and beautiful. And, uh, you know, your heart is going to be all for me and I am going to embrace you and love you and satisfy you. Just like Moses said to our ancestors when they were in the wilderness, right? In Deuteronomy chapter 8, he says, and you're going to come into this land and it's got pomegranates and it's got great trees and, you know, lush greenery and flowing waters, a land of milk and honey. That's where I'm bringing you. See? And so God is saying, that's what I'm going to do. It's not over. I unconditionally love you. And the day will come when you say these words to me that you will begin to experience this. Now, he's going to describe it. He says, for my anger has turned away from them. Now, that's a play on words in Hebrew. God repents. You, you see that sometimes in your Bible, God repented from destroying the land or that, that kind of thing. You see it in some translations. The word is shuv. How does God turn? right? There's movement. There's always movement. We are moving toward God. He moves toward us. See? Uh, and so uh, he moves in the sense of my anger has turned away from them. Now, there's this great physical description. I will be like the dew to Israel. I won't take the time, but notice you see some of these same kinds of words in Hazinu, in this Torah portion. God's words, God's a teaching is like dew. Isn't that interesting? Anyway, I will be like the dew to Israel. I will be like refreshment to Israel. This is what it's going to feel like, Israel. He will blossom like the lily. Now, that type of terminology you see in the Song of Solomon. Look it up. 
You'll see, you know, those types of descriptions. Loving, uh, uh, a description of a lover, okay? He will blossom like the lily. It's tender and beautiful and refreshed. And then it says, and he will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. I mean, firm, stable, you know? So the day is going to come when you're going to be firm and stable in this land and you're going to be beautiful. And he uses the land of Israel to describe this relationship because it's a whole big can of worms, but I'll just say it, that the land describes very much the physicality of what it means to be in a relationship with God, that it's a physical place, that Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel today that you can go and see and experience, is a physical manifestation of God's love to Israel. See? And the fact that Israel, even in as a Jewish people, even in unbelief, as the scripture prophesies, even in unbelief, uh, is, uh, you know, is in this physical land, that in and of itself is a demonstration of God's unconditional love to the Jewish people. What will it be when every knee shall bow and every tongue confesses that Yeshua is Lord? What will it be? It will be a land of peace. It will be a land of milk and honey. It will be uh, 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 more beautiful than it is today. And, and, uh, uh, and it will be a glorious demonstration, very physically glorious demonstration of uh, the presence of God. Okay? And so then he says, he describes it more. His shoots will sprout and his beauty will be like the olive tree and his fragrance like the cedars of Lebanon. So not only will he take root like the cedars of Lebanon, but it, he'll have fragrance like the cedars of Lebanon. You see, uh, those who live in his shadow will again raise grain. They will blossom like the vine. His renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. And, and so again, it, these are words that describe the land of milk and honey. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be beautiful. And then again, oh, Ephraim, what more have I do to, with idols? It is I who answers uh, and looks after you. I am like a luxurious cypress. From me comes your fruit. It's like he's going back and forth and begging them uh, uh, to, to return. And then the very last verse is sort of like a proverb, sort of like a proverbial statement. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them but transgressors will stumble in them. That last part is very important. And the righteous will walk in them. He's saying this to people who the prophet knows is not going to experience this in their lifetime. Okay? You see? He know, when he says this to them, he knows they're going to go into exile. And the idea is, is that they know that this is not the end and that God has not rejected them and that this is the future. Much like Deuteronomy 32. Moses knew the heart of the people. He knew they're going to get in that promised land and it's going to, who knows what's going to happen and they're probably going to be exiled. I hope not, but they're probably going to be exiled. So remember that God is faithful and that he's going to bring you back. And so we see that here. This is much like, see, and the righteous will walk in them, very much like the second chapter of Habakkuk, where God gives him a, a vision and he says, it may seem like it's tarrying, but it's not going to delay. 
You may be wondering, when is it going to happen? It seems like it's not happening, but indeed it will, and it will be on time. And that's when he says, you know, the just shall live by faith. It's like saying, but in the meantime, the just shall live faithfully. And so here in Hosea, he says, you know, he's saying it to the people now in their, in their day. Let him know them. Remember, understand these things. The ways of the Lord are right. Even though you may be going into exile because of your sins, the ways of the Lord are right. And the righteous will walk in them. Okay? And so, the righteous will walk in them. In the meantime, the righteous will walk in them. We live as redeemed people. We are called to live as redeemed people, both inwardly and outwardly. And this is indeed uh, our future. You know, um, we uh, have been talking about, in our uh, elders meetings, Shamashim meetings, and so on, a, especially just amongst a few of us, about a slogan, a, a way of describing who we are just so succinctly. And, and there, you know, there's lots of different things we, we could say, and none of them have the whole message, but sometimes it helps to plant a seed. But, you know, one of the things that, that we certainly are, uh, or that we desire to experience, is Israel's future today. Desiring or experiencing Israel's future today. What do we mean by that? We mean this kind of experience in Hosea chapter 14. We mean having experienced, we as the remnant of Israel, experiencing the healing from apostasy, being loved unconditionally, being refreshed, being renewed, being stable and centered in the Lord, being beautiful in the eyes of God, experiencing what Yeshua called an abundant life, a rich life of meaning and focus and servanthood with a calling on our lives. And that's who we're called to be. When we say, you know, what does it mean to be the remnant? This is what it means to be the remnant. To receive graciously the forgiveness of God in the person of Yeshua. He is Israel's Messiah. And so coming to Yeshua is coming to Hashem, is coming to know the God of Israel, the one and only God. And in Him is the forgiveness of our sins. We see it right, right here. Take words, not an animal, not a bull, and not a ram, not a lamb. Take words, come to me yourself and I will forgive you. Isn't it amazing that in Psalm 51 this is said, and it's said here, during the days of the first temple, during the days when you bring the sacrifice to the priest, he says, take words and return to me, because it is from the heart that we return. So we embrace Yeshua, and we present to him our heart coming out of our mouth, physically, but also our walk with God as the righteous walk in them. Many passages say, you know, repent, turn from your idols, turn from your evil ways, right? So inward and outward, uh, in, in, in an integration. That is what he is saying here. And so for us, uh, on Shabbat Shuvah, May we repent, one might say, from a lack of action, you know, from a lack of integration, from a lack of either 
kavanah, intention of the heart, or a lack of following through, one or the other, or both. And may we have that integration. And you see, this is a great time of year to experience both the physicality of repentance uh, and uh, the inward desire. During this 10 days, the tradition is, is that we return to God via asking forgiveness and being forgiven by others. And so may I suggest a great outward manifestation of an inward desire to follow God is to be transparent and ask forgiveness and forgive. That is what our Jewish tradition teaches us, you know? Uh, and that is uh, how Yeshua teaches us uh, about that forgiveness and living out, one might say, uh, uh, Torah. Another thing we can do uh, uh, in these days is uh, we can fast on Yom Kippur. That is a very good illustration of an outward manifestation of inward desire. You know, uh, if uh, uh, physically, you know, you, you can't fast, uh, you know, that's, that's, God understands all that, you know, uh, but that's what fasting, fasting is not the same as killing two birds with one stone, I can lose some weight on, on, on Yom Kippur by simply not eating, all right? But it is the outward manifestation of an inward reality, an outward reality of the inward reality, you know? Of, uh, of, I'm denying myself, and I'm focused on God, not just in my head, but in uh, my uh, uh, physicality as well. And so... Uh, as uh, we uh, go to God in prayer this morning, uh, may we dwell on these words. And may we realize that as a community, see, we have experienced, we're the presence of the future today. We are the presence of Israel's future today as a community. Why did that passage mean so much to me when I heard that music uh, uh, way back many, many years ago? Uh, because God was inviting me to come and experience this, to be part of what he was doing. And so we, as a Messianic Jewish community, we can sing these songs and, and, and we can experience this because we are displaying, we are demonstrating the future of our whole community. And so may we be a testimony to our community of this is God's plan. This is what he wants to accomplish. And so may we be a living, breathing testimony of the good news by the demonstration through word and deed of life in Messiah. Let us return, O Israel, to the Lord our God. Let's pray. Lord to God, we thank you for this great truth. We thank you, Lord, for this great passage. Lord, may we indeed have an inward desire to know you, to love you, to live for you, to reject evil in our hearts and our lives and to, to love good. Lord, may it manifest itself in our, in our works, in our actions, in the way we live our lives. Lord, may we learn new ways of doing things that are commensurate with life in your body, life in your kingdom, life in the olam haba, 
as we experience it in the Olam Hazeh, in the life today, now. Lord, I pray, God, that Beth Messiah congregation that our, and our Messianic Jewish movement, God, would demonstrate that kind of life in our values, in our morals, in our ethics, in our return to Torah, Lord. And, and may that make a difference to the people around us. Lord, may people see us and say, that's the kind of life I want to live. And may more of our people experience the future of our nation even now, Lord. But Lord, may we move from that mountain, Lord, and may we continue to move and live a life of repentance, Lord. God, from within us to our outward actions. Lord, thank you, God, for the life that you have given us in Messiah. Thank you, Lord, that you have made us, made us blossom. You have made us be stable. Uh, you have made us beautiful. Lord, and may we look at the land, the physical land of Israel, Lord. And may we look forward to that day when the physical land of Israel will indeed represent all the blessings, God, that you uh, have for us. And may we and may we even today look to the land of Israel and recognize that it has all to do with your faithfulness. And may that guide our prayers and our devotion uh, to you when we think about the affairs uh, of this world. And so, God, we repent. We repent today on Shabbat Shuvah of being more talk than action. Uh, Lord, of, of not uh, being uh, integrated inwardly and outwardly. Lord, may we, may we do our best to turn over soil and plant seeds so that trees will indeed grow and bear fruit. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Messiah's name. Amen.